Good morning. Let us all stand as we read on the book of Luke, chapter 7, verses 36 to 50. Luke, chapter 7, verses 36 to 50. Luke 7.36 And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that, sorry, that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an, an absolute box of ointment and stood at his feet behind him weeping and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee which had hidden him saw it, he spake within himself saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that touched him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have, a, I have some, somewhat to say unto thee. And he said, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed five hundred pence and the other fifty. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into this house. They gavest me water, they, 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 thou gavest me not water for my feet, but she hath washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hair of, of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, And this woman, since this time, I came in and had ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the, sum, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, thy sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sins also? And I said to the woman, Thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. These are the words. Luke's Gospel, chapter 7. Luke's Gospel, chapter 7. So I started a series on the parables of Jesus. Today, the message is the secret of loving God much. What an important subject, wouldn't you agree? Since the greatest commandment in all the Bible is to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, Jesus gives us this parable so that we will love Him much. So that we will know, well, what does it mean? and What does it take? What do I have to understand to love God in a great way. So, let's just go back to our text and we'll read one verse 
and then pray as we begin. Go to Luke chapter 7, please. And I just want to read the question that Jesus asks of Simon in verse 42. Luke chapter 7, can you read verse 42 with me? It says, And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? That's the question. Which of them will love him most? The answer to that is the secret of loving God much. Let's pray. So, Lord, we confess to you that you are worthy of all of our love, all of the love of our soul, our mind, and our strength. This is the great commandment. For, Lord, you are our creator. You are our Savior. You are the lover of our soul. And, Lord, we pray now that you would take this message and encourage every heart with it that we would truly leave this place loving you as we have been loved by you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So the secret of loving God much. That's the message today. So I want to tell you about four men that I read about that were singing and praying. You say, well, that's not such a big deal, four men singing and praying to God. But it is a big deal when I tell you where they were. They were in Mosul in Iraq. And when they were singing and praying, it was in the year 2014 when ISIS had taken over Mosul and the vicious terrorist Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi was reigning in that city and killing Christians and telling them either leave or die. It was in that year that four men decided to stay and stand for their Savior, Jesus Christ. And they were singing and praying on a cross. They were dying as martyrs for their faith. Nails were driven through their arms and their legs. They were hanging on a cross. They were going to die. But barely above a whisper, while on that cross, they sang a gospel song of love for Jesus Christ. And they prayed for their ISIS captives who were watching them as they died. A young soldier named Mido was watching this And for him, something changed at that moment. And he knew he could no longer stay with this wicked group of ISIS. He had to leave the first chance that he got. And he did. That day, his heart melted when he saw those men dying for Christ. And he found safety in Turkey. And while in Istanbul, Turkey, he providentially met another young man named Samir. And Samir invited Mido to a small meeting. Mido didn't know what kind of meeting it was. But when he got closer, he heard the sound of gospel singing. And he says, is this a church? And Samir said, oh yes. Is that okay? Would you go into the service with me? And so Mido, who had been a recruit and a soldier in ISIS, the door of that church service opened And when he heard the singing, he began to sob. And Samir said, Mido, why are you sobbing? And paralyzed, he couldn't move. And he choked out these words and he said, I know the song they're singing. 
It's the song, the same song those four men were singing when they died on the cross. And he went into that meeting that night and he wasn't saved immediately. But two weeks later, Mito gave his heart and faith, put his faith in Jesus Christ. What makes people love Jesus that much that they will have nails put through their hands and their feet for Him? What is that? Well, Jesus tells an amazing parable. It's a very brief parable. And it's a very simple story, isn't it? Let me read it again. Luke chapter 7, Jesus said, Simon, I want to tell you something. And Simon, this Pharisee, said, Master, say on. So here's the parable in verse 42. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? That's the parable. Two debtors. One owed 500 pence. Now, a pence is about a day's wage. So you can say that's about two years of salary. 50 pence is about two months of salary. So let's just say that a person makes $50,000 a year. This means one person was forgiven $100,000. And again, if you make $50,000 a year, you prorate that to about two months. It's about $8,000, give or take. So one person was forgiven $100,000, and another person was forgiven $8,000. You can also look at it this way, for the sake of argument, what Jesus is saying. Somebody's forgiven a large debt, a million dollars, versus somebody forgiven a small debt, ten dollars. Who's going to love the one who forgave the debt more? The one who was forgiven the most. So the question really is, when Jesus said, which of them will love Him more? What kind of a sinner do you see yourself? A 500 pence sinner? Or a 50 pencer? What kind of a person do you see yourself? And I like that where Jesus says, He frankly forgave them. Which means He freely and fully, immediately forgave both of them. But the answer to the question, really, it's quite simple, isn't it? Who will love most? And it's the one who will love most who was forgiven the most. And the degree of love of any forgiven debtor will stand in direct proportion to the amount of the canceled debt. So it's important for us to understand that we have not been forgiven of a small debt From our God. If you see yourself as only being forgiven by a little by Jesus, you'll never love Him much. We must have a heart that's on fire for God. God is worthy of all of our love. But we have to understand what He did for us in order to love Him. We love Him because He first loved us. We have to understand His love for us. If we're going to love Him. Now let us just think about this setting here for a moment. Because it's also very interesting how this parable is only a couple verses. But really it's in this whole setting 
of Jesus being invited into the house of this Pharisee, a religious man, a religious Jew named Simon. And so as Jesus was sitting at Simon's table, emotions were really running high. And you have to put yourself into the biblical stories here. And you have to feel the emotions. Because first of all, we see a woman who was at the feet of Jesus and here in this painting. And it's, you know, I put different paintings. I went on and found different paintings. It's amazing how this story has inspired so many different artists. The Bible is such an amazing book, isn't it? But here's this woman over here, and here's Jesus in this painting, and she's worshiping Him, washing His feet with her liquid love, with her tears, with godly sorrow and grateful joy, wiping the hair with her feet with the hair of her head, kissing Him and anointing Him. And this was going on while they were eating. She is worshiping the King of Glory. And it says that she took out an alabaster box and broke that. Now, it doesn't say how much value was in that alabaster box. But later on, when Mary worshipped Jesus, remember Judas said that we could have sold that and given the money to the poor, and that was 300 pence. Now again, a pence is about a day's wage. So in that instance, 300 pence would be about a year and a half salary. Could you imagine bringing a year and a half of your salary into the church today and put it in the offering? You would say, you'd have to be nuts to do that. Well, it just depends how nuts you want to be for Jesus. Now, I, I confess, I've never given that much in one shot, you know. That's a lot of money. I don't know anybody. Actually, I don't know anybody who's given a year and a half salary. And I'm not telling you to do that. I'm just saying that's what Mary gave later. I don't, and perhaps this woman gave something similar to that when she broke this alabaster box. So that was the emotions of this woman. Full of emotion. But... Simon had his own emotions. But his emotion was not love. His emotion was unnerved anger. A sense of righteous indignation. His conscience was stirred with anger at what was happening. Because Jesus was breaking all the norms of of culture. What He was doing defiled the dinner table. How could this man... If he were a prophet, allow this woman who is a sinner, do this to him. He thought he saw the situation just right. He was hot with anger and a sense of judgment. He even says, this man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner. But he didn't say it out loud. You know, some people just think when, they, when they're around the presence of Jesus Christ or even in church, some people don't want to say certain things out loud. They'll just look around and they'll say, look at that person over there. Oh, look at that person. How they look. They looked at me funny. That person over there. Look how they're dressed. That person over there. Look at... Whatever about them. And we can so easily make judgments about people within ourselves. And that's what this Simon was doing. He was making these judgments. He wasn't speaking these things out loud. He was saying it within himself. 
But Jesus shows he's more than a prophet because Jesus could read his mind. And you know, actually, what's amazing here, not just once, but twice in this story, people were thinking within themselves. It's also mentioned in verse 49, where they questioned why he could forgive. But Simon wondered, how, if this man were a prophet, he, he would know what's going on. He wouldn't let this happen. Now think of that. He saw Jesus as less than a prophet. Jesus is far more than a prophet. But he didn't see him even as a prophet. And earlier in this chapter, you know what Jesus did? Go, go in Luke chapter 7. Just earlier in this chapter, look at verse 16. You know what Jesus did? He raised the dead widow's son from the grave while they were bringing him to his resting place, to his burial site. He raised him from the dead. And when Jesus raised up that boy, what did they say in verse 16? It says they glorified God and they said, a great prophet, <laughs> a great prophet has risen. God has visited His people through Jesus. But Simon didn't see it that way. And Simon judged this woman. And Simon judged himself. How did he judge himself? He's good. How did he judge the woman? She's bad. How do you judge Jesus? He's not what everybody thinks he is. So he had the situation all summed up, but he was absolutely wrong about everything. <laughs> Himself, the woman, and Jesus. So let's look at three things in this parable that will help us to see the secret of loving God much. A sincere love for God I believe, embraces three realities. So three realities to embrace to sincerely love God. That's the message. And I hope this is, would, would, you would think about this and that it will be practical in your soul. The first reality we all have to embrace is a deep awareness of sin in our lives. Now Jesus, when He applies this to Simon... He says to Simon, down in verse number 47, He says to Simon, Wherefore I say unto thee, Her sins, which are many. So she had sinned much. And Jesus doesn't overlook it. She was a great sinner. Probably, most everyone would say, was a prostitute. But notice what Luke says in verse number 40, uh, 37, when Luke saw her, and he said, Behold a woman in the city. Now, I wrote a book called Behold the City. <laughs> and this is one of the stories that I got the title of that book from. Behold a woman in the city. Behold in the city a woman. And there are a lot of city folk. We're all sinners. But it says here, what does it say? It says, which... What's the word after which? Was a sinner. Now, the Bible is very specific. I believe in the inspiration and authority of the Bible. I believe with all my heart the Bible is the Word of God. It's inerrant. It's inspired. It's true. Amen. And it's amazing how precise God is when He says something. Because God says, through Luke, that she was a sinner in the past. Simon looked at her 
And he said, how could Jesus be allowing this to happen? And look what Simon said of her in verse 39, at the very end of verse 39. He said, he should have known who, who this woman is. And what kind of woman this is. He should have known that. And he did, actually. <laughs> but he says, and who this woman is that touches him for she, what's the word after she? Is present. And you can look it up. That's a present tense. The other's past tense. Simon saw her still as a prostitute. But good news, she wasn't. But she had sinned greatly. And she knew it. And because she knew she had sinned greatly and also had been forgiven greatly, she loved much. She had a deep awareness of her own personal sins. The problem with Simon is he had a deep awareness of her sins, but not his. And that's the problem with a lot of Baptists in, in Bible-believing churches today. It's easy for us to point to the sins of culture. That's easy to do. But let's not forget what God has forgiven us. Never forget how great sinners we have been in our past. So, Simon, Jesus asked Simon, what a great question. When he says, seest thou this woman? Do you see her, Simon? Did he see her? Did he see her? He saw what he wanted to see. He saw what he could see. But he couldn't see her heart. That's in verse 44. When he said to Simon, Seest thou this woman? So we need to be careful when we look at other people we can see certain things, but we often see only what we want to see. And we often see in other people what makes us feel better about ourselves because we're better than them. And that's not right. We're in the family of God. We need to love each other and realize we're all sinners. And God has forgiven me much. So Simon had a deep awareness of her sins, but not his own. He saw the woman, but only for what she was and not for who she had become. She saw the woman as, as he wanted to see her, but not as truly God had changed her. And so this is what keeps us from a deep consciousness of sin and a deep love for God, is this judgmental spirit toward other people. So, judge not. Do not continually live a life of judging other people. Now, I'm not saying we should not judge righteous judgment. Yes. But Jesus said, judge not, lest you be judged. And the, the tense there is, do not live a continuous life of just focusing on other people around you and criticizing them and judging them. You're not going to be a person people want to be around. And in fact, I believe he judged this woman wrong because he didn't understand who Jesus was. <laughs> he, 
He treated Jesus shabbily in the midst of it all. And Jesus even rebukes him, doesn't, doesn't Jesus? He says, Simon, hey Simon, you think you're so good? I can't, you invited me into your house. What were the common courtesies of the day? The common courtesies is you give a guest water to wash their feet. Did Simon do that to Jesus? No. But this woman, since I came in, she's washing my feet with her tears of, of, of liquid love and joy. Simon, you didn't even give me a kiss. It was common courtesy to kiss a man, even just on the cheek, and, and embrace them. He said, you didn't kiss me, but this woman, she's kissing my feet and anointing them with the ointment. And it was common courtesy to give some oil because it was inexpensive to oil, to, to just clean, uh, anoint the hair a little bit or whatever they did with it. Uh, you don't have to give me oil when I come into your house to anoint my hair. Uh, like slick it back, you know. But <laughs> So Simon didn't even do the common courtesies of his day. He was so busy judging. And I believe, and I, I say this to myself. I say it to all of us. Some of us have been saved for a few years. I've been a Christian since 1978 by the grace of God. And God saved me out of some really wicked sin. All kinds of wickedness and alcohol and drugs and cursing and mocking and atheism and wicked, sinful immorality. I mean, God saved me out of all of it. And I must never forget what I've been forgiven of. And neither must you. But the danger for all of us is the longer we are saved, the easier it is to become religious and forget how much we have been forgiven. Does that make sense? So... Let us take that warning into our hearts and always trust the grace of God and, and realize how much of His grace we've received. Now what I'm saying here in having a deep awareness, a deep awareness of our sin, I'm not saying that we go around saying, oh, I'm so bad, you know, I'm, I'm just the worst person in the world. And, and we walk down and we're, oh no, no, I can't look at anybody because I'm such a sinner, you know, I'm such a guilty, dirty, filthy, rotten sinner. I'm not saying that. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm not saying that you see yourself as some kind of dirty, rotten sinner every day of your life because once you've been saved, you're not a dirty, rotten sinner. You're forgiven. You're a saint. You're born again. Rejoice! And, and you're in the family of God. And in that sense, when we're, when we're saved and forgiven, we're not dirty, rotten sinners. We can be in the presence of God. We can look up at God and say that God will receive us and we've been accepted to come into His presence and to come boldly into His throne of grace. And that, that's an amazing thing. But on the other hand, when I say have a deep awareness of sin, never forget what you and I deserve because of our sin. That we deserve hell. We deserve the damnation of eternal punishment. That's what my sin deserves. Unless Jesus had died for me, I would have died and gone to hell for all eternity. And so in that sense, I must never forget my sins, which are many, and your sins, which are many. So... The question is, what kind of sinner do you see yourself? A 50-pence sinner? I'm oh, not that bad. 
You know, that's, the, that's the idea a lot of people have. Well, I'm not that bad. I don't hurt anybody. No one's perfect. I'm not as bad as Adolf Hitler. I didn't do what uh, Osama bin Laden did. I didn't even kill anybody. I've done my best. I've done more good things than bad. And we justify ourselves. And we minimize ourselves. And we talk about how good we are. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And and Paul says it, it makes no difference whether you sinned as much as Adolf Hitler. Your sins led Jesus Christ to go to the cross. And He had to do that for you if you were the only sinner in the world. Think of what He went through for us. Think of what He went through for me, for my sins, and the beating and the bruising and the punching and the mocking and the cursing and the spitting and the nails and the crown and the forsakenness and the pain and the darkness forsaken of God on the cross. Truly, our heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. That's why Jesus went through that. Truly, the sin is written by God. The sin is written in our heart with a pen of iron. And if we say we have no sin, 1 John says we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. And if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. So let's just face it our sins deserve judgment. And that's why we should love him much. Because we have sinned much. So we must, first of all, have a deep awareness of our own sin. The second thing is, we must embrace that full acceptance. A full acceptance of forgiveness. A full acceptance of forgiveness. So again, look at verse 47, which really is critical verses in this to interpret Jesus and basically tells us why he tells this parable, because notice what he says in verse 47 again. He says, Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins which are many are forgiven. So, and I'm going to put it in this, in this I'm going to put it in the tense like this. Her sins which have been many have now been completely forgiven. Forgiven in the past and now still forgiven to this present moment. They have been forgiven. And they will not be remembered any longer. The tense of that, I always look at this and, and the, the, without getting bogged down into details, but the Greek language is very specific in, in its verb structure. And it's really wonderful when you get down into it, but don't worry, I'm not going to get down into it with you. But I just always look at it this way. I could say, I have been married. Now, does that mean I got married? That means I got married in the past and I'm still what? I'm still fully married. I'm not halfway married. I'm fully married to one woman, Debbie. And so I have been married. That's the, that's the tense here. The idea is she has been forgiven. It happened in the past and it's good to this present moment and it will continue. She has been forgiven and she had accepted fully the frank forgiveness of Jesus Christ of all of her sins. And a cleansed heart is a loving heart. Do you know you're forgiven? The psalmist said, Blessed is the man to whom the, the Lord imputeth not iniquity, in whose spirit there is no guile. When you know you've been forgiven, you're rejoicing. You're running. You're excited. You're, you're thrilled with what God has done for you. Her sins had been many, but they were completely Forgiven. And the result of that was, the result then, Jesus tells us in verse 47, 
is she loved much. This is why she loved Jesus much. She was a great sinner, but she had been forgiven all of that debt completely, and now she loved much. That's the secret of love, beloved. Having that deep awareness of sin, and then having that full acceptance of that forgiveness. She loved much. Now, this is very important that we get this when Jesus said, for she loved much. Jesus is not saying that her love earned in any way forgiveness. Her loving actions did not gain the forgiveness. Her love proved she had been forgiven. And that's what Jesus means here clearly. And I want to say this now, and, and so get, get this, this is important. In these verbs, there's a, there's a voice of either being active in something or passive. And when Jesus says, she has been forgiven, she is forgiven, she was passive. She did not forgive herself. Who forgave her? God forgave her. So she was forgiven, and then, he, and then Jesus says, for she loved much. Was she active or passive? Active. She was actively loving because she had been forgiven by God. And that's the secret of loving God much. Is know that you've been forgiven fully and completely by God. And then if you really get a hold of that, you'll love the Lord much. So our love for God does not earn forgiveness. It confirms that forgiveness. And the second thing I want to say about this, and based on what I just said, on that she didn't forgive herself, she was forgiven, she was passive in the forgiveness. Because, and that's important because in psychology today, what do they make a big point about forgiveness. Who do you have to forgive if you're going to overcome your past and overcome your regrets and overcome your fears? You have to forgive who? Yourself. That's, that, that is stress so much in psychology. I, I believe a lot of Christians believe that. Let me tell you something. Stop trying to forgive yourself. It is a total waste of time. To focus on forgiving yourself. That's psychology and not the Bible. In Psychology Today magazine, a psychotherapist said this in in an article, Healing Your Shame and Guilt Through Self-Forgiveness. And this is the emphasis of modern day psychology. And it goes like this, I believe that self-forgiveness is the most powerful step you can take to ridding yourself of debilitating shame. Now, why do they teach that? Because they want to remove God from the equation. There's no room for God in modern-day psychology. Freud started psychology and how to deal with your emotional problems and your spiritual problems without God. And so here it just continues on. So this whole idea of self-forgiveness is they don't believe that you need forgiveness from God. So you're you're the God that you have to forgive yourself. (laughs) 
So I say it's a total waste of time. Now, the Bible teaches forgiveness on two, two planes. That we need forgiveness from God because all sin is against God. Psalm 51. You agree with that, right? Against thee and thee only have I sinned. Done this iniquity in thy sight. All sin is ultimately against God. So we need forgiveness from God. And if I sinned against man, I need to go to man and ask forgiveness and get forgiveness from men on a horizontal level. So forgiveness is toward God word and man word. If I cursed at somebody to ask forgiveness of them, stole from somebody, I, get, I go to God, God, forgive me for stealing from so-and-so, and now I need to go to you and make it right with you, right? So forgiveness is on that horizontal, the vertical level, the horizontal level, but it's not in, on the internal level. In the sense of, to myself, I don't have to ever forgive myself. And I'm trying to free you from that thinking. And you say, well, what if, what if you did something like, what if you ran over a mother and a baby while she was walking across the street and you killed the mother and her child? I mean, isn't that a nightmare? Can you imagine? Uh, that would be such a, a nightmare to live with. But what do you do? You go to God. God, forgive me. I wasn't aware. I wasn't awake. I, whatever. I, I should have been more aware. And then you go to the person's family and, and make it as right as possible on that, that horizontal level. And then maybe th there will be other consequences. I don't know. But I'm saying get forgiveness from God on the vertical and the horizontal and then just believe that you're forgiven at that moment by God, completely, frankly forgiven, fully and freely forgiven, and then you can have the joy of the Lord still. You're going to have some pain. Sure, that's going to be for a while in such a situation as I just outlined. There's going to be pain. And there's going to be hurt in your memory bank and so forth. But you could still have the joy of the Lord. When David committed his sin, he committed adultery and he had a man killed. Was he joyful when God forgave him? When he actually dealt with it? Yes. Not because he forgave himself, but he wrote Psalm 32, the psalm that I quoted. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity. So, again, the point is, is in forgiveness, we're passive in the forgiveness. <laughs> Which means we don't actively work to forgive ourselves. We receive the forgiveness of God. And look at it this way. When you, when you and I die and stand before God... And we're at the judgment seat. Are we going to judge ourselves then? <laughs> we're not going to judge ourselves. Our system of judgment is skewed and not perfectly righteous. We're going to stand before who? God. So who do you need forgiveness from? God. And if you have forgiveness from God, you can go out with joy and rejoicing and peace in your heart. And that's what the Lord finally tells this woman. Not only... To love God much, we have a deep awareness of sin and then a full acceptance of forgiveness. But thirdly, a sweet assurance of peace. Because he tells her in verse 48, thy sins are forgiven. They have been forgiven. And they that sat at meat said within themselves, who is this? They said within, who is this that forgiveth sins also? He's God. He forgives sins. Amen. 
And then he said to the woman, Thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. Go in peace. Your feelings don't save you, but faith in Jesus saves you. She had faith. And for by grace are we saved through faith. That not of ourselves, it is the gift of God. Let me, let me ask you, are you saved today? Have you believed that Jesus Christ is the Lord of all who died on the cross for your sins? So that He has frankly forgiven you all your sin. And yes, I say we should all see ourselves as forgiven a great debt. And by the way, you don't have to commit big sins to see yourself as a big sinner. In other words, it's not like you have to go out and become a drunkard and become a drug addict and become an adulterer and then be forgiven. Oh, and then you'll love the Lord much. No, that's, that's not the point at all. The point of sin is this, beloved. It's not the nature of the sin that makes the sin great. It's the nature of the one we have sinned against that makes any sin great. And when you realize the greatness and the glory and the power and the love of God and the worship and the worth that He is truly deserving and that we rebel against Him, a small sin, so to speak, against the great God, makes that sin great. It's not the nature of the sin that makes a sin great. It's the nature of the one we sin against. Hey, when Adam sinned, hey, he didn't kill anybody. He ate a bite of a fruit. It doesn't seem that bad on the surface, but was it bad? Yes! Because he sinned against the great God's clear command. So all of us are sinners. But we can all have that sweet assurance of peace that, that Jesus Christ died for every one of our sins on the cross. And when we believe in Him, we can have that peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Have the sweet assurance of peace. And I put these verses in your notes of Jesus' words of peace. He said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world give, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation. Be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So Jesus said, in me, whatever your circumstances are, whatever you have done in the past, and whatever the consequences of those sins that you have done are, get in Jesus. Abide in Him. Understand, yes, I have a deep awareness of sin, but then grasp a full assurance, a full acceptance of forgiveness, and then you can have that sweet assurance, that sweet assurance of peace, that I have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thy faith hath saved thee, Jesus tells this woman. Go in peace. So, I read of a, and I'll close with this, I read of a woman named Sunni, and I've been reading a book, by the way, both that first illustration and this illustration, it comes from a book called Standing in the Fire by a man named Boyle. And he writes some amazing testimonies of God at work in the Muslim world. I recommend them. They're just stories. And they're very intriguing. Once you start reading one, you'll want to read the whole chapter. 
And they're beautiful stories. It's called Standing in the Fire by Boyle. He's written, I think, at least three of these books. But he wrote of a woman named Suni. And she had been married four different times. And her chapter was called The Muslim Woman at the Well. And four different marriages ended in incredible disappointment. And finally she attended a Bible study and she came to believe in Jesus. And she became saved ultimately because she saw the changed life in her friend and her brother, who really was abusive to her and very cruel toward her. He became saved. And she saw the love of Jesus Christ in those around her and drew her to the Lord. And as she looked back on her four marriages, she said, my first marriage, I was the barren wife. Because she couldn't bear her husband, her Muslim husband, a child, he kicked her out. And the Muslim religion allows that. The second Muslim husband I had beat me. I was the beaten wife. And Islam allows that as well. And by the way, Islam is a very evil religion. Don't think for a moment Islam and Christianity are just the same. They are complete opposites. His, her next husband wanted her to prostitute herself with other men. He would bring in that, and she's like, she got out of that one. So first she was the, bar, the barren wife thrown out, the beaten wife. She left him. She became the prostitute. Her husband wanted her to be the prostitute wife. She left him. And then finally, the fourth husband, he married her to be a, a slave to him and his beloved wife. To be a second wife slave. She's, within 24 hours, she left him. So she was married four times. And her name was Sunni. That's part of, you know, some Muslims, there's a sect within Islam, the Sunni religion of Islam, that was her name. And it was given to her so that every time people heard her name, they would be reminded of the Islam religion. So you know what Sunni did? She changed her name. She changed her name to Salam, which means peace. She said, something I never had. Far too many Muslim women will never have peace, she said, until they meet Jesus. While the Middle East is unraveling with war, our whole world is unraveling with war. Salam gives her testimony and she says, I have perfect peace in my heart. I have peace and I want you to have that peace as well. I want you all with all my heart to go in peace today. I want you with all my heart to be able to love Jesus Christ fully because you've been forgiven much. And you can go in peace in Jesus' name. Let's stand together as we pray. This woman reminds me that city sinners can become vibrant saints when they realize the fullness of love and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. And however you've come in here today, maybe you're cold and Bored in your heart with God, beloved, realize what Jesus has done to forgive you of your so great sin. And the good news is you can come to Christ no matter what you've done. No matter your past. 
Some people say, well, I will come to Christ, but you don't know what I've done. Jesus knows, and He said, come unto Me, and I will give you rest. Many think, but I can't change. Oh yes, God changes drunkards and homosexuals and adulterers and drug addicts. He can change us from the inside out because when we're saved, He puts His Holy Spirit in us and we become new. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. And the Lord's hand is not shortened today that He cannot save. And His ear is not dull that He cannot hear your cry to Him. And is there anyone who would say, Pastor Matt, today, if I were to die, I'm not sure I'd go to heaven, but I need to know and I want to know. I want to be sure how my, that my sins are forgiven and I want to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. You're not a Christian, but you need to be a Christian. Is there anyone who'd say, Pastor Matt, pray for me. I need to call upon Jesus to save me today. Can I see your hand? Is there anyone? Can I pray for you? Dear friend, just want to speak to Christians for a moment as we close this service. Do you love the Lord much? Do you have a deep awareness of the sins that you have committed in the past? I trust you're not living in them now. If you are, repent of them and change. Turn to the Lord and live out your repentance like this woman did at the feet of Jesus with true tears of joy. But do you have a full acceptance of forgiveness from the Lord? And do you have that sweet assurance of peace from Him that you're saved? How many would say, Pastor Matt, I know I'm saved. I have that sweet assurance. As far as I know, I believe I've been fully accepted and forgiven of the Lord. And I do have a deep awareness of my sins, which have been many. Can I see your hand? Just put it up in the air. And you say, yes, I want to love God much. I want to love God with all my heart. Just hold your hand up for a moment. Just hold it up and then just pray in your heart. Say, Lord, thank You. Thank You for Your love. Thank You for all Your grace. Thank You for Your Holy Spirit. Fill me, Spirit of God, so that I do not wander into sinful pleasures, that I do not drink from poisonous dreams, that I do not fall into Satan's hidden traps, but, Lord, that I would cling to You with all my heart and soul and mind and strength and love You because You have loved me with an everlasting love. Thank You. Praise the Lord. You can put your hands down. Thank You, Lord, for Your goodness and grace now. And we praise You in Jesus' name. Amen.